Knoxville Game Design, January 2019, Unity for Beginners, with Dylan, Drew, William, and Levi. Welcome everyone to Knoxville Game Design for January 2019. We are developers in the Knoxville and East Tennessee area. We get together once a month to talk about our game projects and topics in the games industry. Uh, this month, we just have two people online, including myself. Uh, first of all, we have Dylan Wolf. Uh, he's known for games such, such as Shifty Shapes and Retrofuture, and he's in Lenore City, Tennessee. Hello. And I'm Levi Smith. I uh, have multiple games on various platforms. I'm in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And who do we have here? Hey, William. Hey, how you doing? Oh, doing okay. How about yourself? And thanks doing for joining great. us. I appreciate the invitation very much. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so are you, so I got an email from you uh, last month, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're currently uh, in Ohio? Or? No, West Virginia, where uh, my wife and I are looking to move uh, to uh a place that's got a good, uh, are, are great uh, folks to work with in game development. Awesome. Well, we we appreciate you joining us. Uh, I know I replied to your message. Uh, we just got a small game dev scene here in Knoxville. Uh, most, most of us are just doing this as a hobby. Um, we do have a lot of good people around the area, like we have the Chaos Soft guys who've released games on Xbox 360. Uh, yeah. But none of us do this as a full-time job or anything like that. Uh, I know, like the closest to us, uh, I've always heard is Raleigh, North Carolina. I think it's Corey or somewhere, and where they have Epic Games. Uh, yeah, I know they do have a good game dev scene in Lexington. I went up there about a year ago and met with their game dev group. And I know they have frequent meetings. So if you're looking for a group that meets regularly in person, <laughs> we just do it online because uh, our group kind of dwindled down so much and we're all over the place. Uh, Joe Miller, who usually joins us, he's in Morristown, Tennessee, and Dylan's in Lenore City, and I'm here in Oak Ridge. So we had been meeting at the Tech Co-op in downtown Knoxville, but that's kind of like a 40-minute drive for me, and and Joe was coming even further uh, than that. So anyway, thanks for joining us. Uh, this month, we're going to have a presentation by Dylan Wolf on Unity and how to get started up with Unity and making a simple project. But first, I have a little bit of news that I'll open here, and let me share my screen. And so the first big news is that if you haven't heard already, GitHub is now offering free source code repository, private source code repository. So I've always, I've used GitHub for quite a while now, and, but unless you paid for their premium or pro account, which I can't remember how much that was, it's like five or six bucks a month, then you could only have public repositories. So now they're opening it up so you can also have free private repositories. So anyone out there looking for a source code repository host, which I highly recommend, uh, GitHub is now also an option if you want to keep your repositories private. Uh, Bitbucket has always had free private repositories, so that's another good resource. 
Uh, GitHub, I think I like GitHub's uh, analytics and things like that a little bit better than Bitbucket, but they're both great resources. And I'll go ahead and plug, I think it was January, a year ago, January 2018, we did a talk here on Knoxville Game Design. It's on iTunes and the YouTube. Uh, you can look it up there as well. We did a talk on source code repositories and things like that. So if you want to know how to get started on setting up a source code repository, then I definitely recommend checking that out. It's very beneficial because if you lose, if your hard drive goes bad, it's always good to have it checked into a source code repository somewhere else, even if you're working alone. Uh, it's also beneficial if you go in and you make a mistake or something or your source code gets uh, hacked or or whatever you obliterated, it's always good to be able to go back to a source code repository and be able to check that out uh, and go to a previous version. And of course, if you're working with other people in a distributed environment, it's good to be able to work collaboratively with other people and be able to check multiple uh, versions or multiple areas into one source code repository. Also coming up next weekend is GM48. So this is the one that uh, Joe Miller, uh, he's not going to be with us this month, but he told me that he is planning on doing GM48 next weekend. It's in five days. We currently have voting going on right now, so you can go out and vote for your favorite themes. Uh, this is a Game Maker exclusive game jam, very similar to Ludum Dare. I believe they do this one four times a year. Uh, but yeah, make a game in a weekend and vote on other people's games after it's finished. And it sounds like a lot of fun. So we'll, we may have a couple of Game Maker games to show off next month. I was hoping that Joe Miller was going to be able to join us this month uh, because I found uh, just on Facebook there is a Tri-Cities game developers group. Uh, so Joe may be interested in this because this is kind of like in, in, in his neighborhood uh, up in Johnson City and Kingsport in that area. Um, I'm not sure. It looks like their last meeting was November, so I'm not sure how often they meet, but it looks like they... Here's some a familiar name, Jake Gillenwater. He's joined our group in the past uh, online. So um, I'm not sure exactly how often they meet, but that's another group here in East Tennessee. And I'll also mention, Dylan, you may be interested in this if you're ever, if you're in Oak Ridge area, I found on the Knox Dev Slack group, uh, they're going to be starting an Oak Ridge lunch. I think they already have like a monthly lunch um, for Knox Devs, but a lot of us here in Oak Ridge aren't able to make it out. Uh, so I think they're going to be scheduling that sometime soon. So uh, check out the Knox Dev Slack group if anyone out there is interested in joining that. So anyway, that's all the news that I had for this month. I'll go ahead and, Dylan, I'll go ahead and hand it over to you. All right. Um, give me one second. Okay. I have to remember how to share in Google Hangouts. Yeah, it should be like... You kind of hovered your mouse, and there's three little dots up there. All right. Okay, got it. Okay. So um, what we thought we'd do for 
for this meeting is I'm just going to go through a demo of setting up a Unity game. Um, and what we're going to do is we're just going to start out with a blank project and at the end of this we should have just a really simple space shooter type of game. Um, so I've got my Unity window here, uh, which is what comes up when you first start Unity. I'm going to go to New Project and I'm going to type in Knox Game Design, Jan 2019. Um, this is going to be a 2D shooter, so I'm going to select the 2D template, although no matter which template you choose, you should be able to um, kind of go back and forth. All this does is, is set a couple of defaults. Um, it's not something you can't change later. Um, we're going to do this from scratch, so I'm not going to add any asset packages, and I'm going to turn off the uh, Enable Unity Analytics option. Unity's got a service out there that if you've got a Unity account, you can automatically have it um, start logging analytics, and it'll just build that in. So I'm going to go ahead and click Create Project, and this is probably going to take a second. Um, yeah, Unity's gotten really slow whenever I've created my latest projects. It seems like there's a lot of like HoloLens and everything else it tries to bundle in. Yeah, it, it dumps in a bunch of defaults. Um, I know there's a package manager and some of that may come into play. Yeah, there's HoloLens right there. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm not using that. Why is it importing that? So um, while it's doing this, I'll just say for, for this demo... Um, I'm going to show some things that aren't necessarily the best way to do it in Unity because in Unity there's often multiple ways to accomplish the same thing. Um, but this should be simple enough that um, we at least get something up and running and then later if we wanted to change the techniques we were using to do some of these things we could. All right. So here is our just a de default Unity screen. Um, you'll notice there's a bunch of different tabs, and you can move those uh, back and forth. Um, the way they're set up on my screen may not be what you see. So you, you may have to kind of play around with them a bit. Um, but just as a, as a simple overview, um, you can see up here we've got tools for um, scrolling uh, the scene, the 3D scene view. Uh, we've got tools for uh, moving, rotating, and scaling, and things like that. We've got some buttons up here that allow us to debug the game in the editor and to pause it at a particular frame so that we can uh, tweak some things. Um, on the left side here, I've got the hierarchy for the scene or scenes that you've got loaded. This is going to show you all the objects in the um, in your scene or in your game. Uh, you can see that the default here is just an object called main camera and when I click on it um, we see it highlight in the scene window and we see um, kind of its properties show up over here at the right in the inspector. Um, in between, there's a, a scene tab, which is just going to show you all the objects you have in your game and allow you to manipulate them. 
right now it's set for 2D because we chose the 2D option. If we wanted to um, go into 3D view, we could just click this button and now we have full 3D perspective. Um, but we're building a 2D game, so I'm going to leave it at 2D so I don't have to mess with that. Uh, there's also a game window, which is going to show you what you would see on screen when you ran this. So that's that's helpful to kind of position things as well. At the bottom is the project window, and this is going to show you all the, the files that you have in your project. Uh, right now, we've just got a folder called Scenes that has Sample Scene in it. And there's also a tab for the console window. I'll go ahead All and right. mention, uh, I don't know if you're going to get into this, but you mentioned you have the scene tab and the game tab and you can press play. If you press play and you start making changes in your scene and stop, then you lose all those changes. So yes. make sure you don't make changes while you have it in play mode. Yeah, it's good It's good to tweak, but you want to remember, I, th I think there may be a way to save those changes or copy those changes, but I cannot remember what it is. Yeah, I have an editor script that you can drop in, and it will automatically save your scene whenever you press play, so it, it helps a little bit. Okay, yeah, I think I, I think you showed that, have you showed that before, or am I? Yeah, probably months ago, it's on my bit bucket. Okay, um, all right. So I've got main camera selected, and we'll come over here to the inspector. Let me bring up the magnifier app. Actually, that's... Let me... I should have done this. I'm going to... Oh, I already had it pinned. Okay, so we're going to look at... The inspector, uh, you can see that uh, I've got main camera selected and it shows the, the name, the tag, and the layer of the object. These are um, a little more advanced. Uh, layer just determines what objects this can interact with. Um, you'll see the next thing is transform. And um, when you're looking at a game object, um, you're really, like a default game object is just going to have a transform uh, on it. And all this tells you is the position of that object in the world. Um, now you can add other components to an object which give it more functionality. So for example, you'll see that our camera has a camera component. Um, right now we've got some options about uh, what shows in the background if nothing is displayed. Um, Orthographic projection is that 2D camera as opposed to a 3D vanishing point. Um, and size is the number of Unity units that are show, shown from the center of the screen to the top of the screen. Basically, this will allow us to zoom in and out. Um, there's also a bunch of other um, uh, more advanced options. We're, we're not going to get into those here. All right, so the first thing I want to do is this is a space shooter game, so we're we've got this kind of cornflower blue background uh, by default. Let's change that to just a black background because we're in space. Um, if we were building a full game, we'd put like a star field. We might have some parallax scrolling or something going on, but um, this is a good 
starting point. Um, I'm also going to leave the orthographic pers uh, size at five. Uh, we may change this uh, later to kind of dial in, you know, the, the how zoomed in we want our view to be. Um, and the other thing you may want to look at here is the transform. So by default, the, the default camera starts at uh, X0, Y0, and Z negative 10. So if you can imagine you've got your X, Y, and Z plane, and then the camera is sitting 10 units out pointing at the origin um, by default. And, and we want to leave it this way um, just because having our X and Y at the center of our screen at zero, zero is going to make things a lot easier down the road. Yeah, that's a little bit different than what our, us old developers are used to where you have zero, zero in the upper left-hand corner, then Y goes down. So this makes things a lot simpler. Yeah. And, and just, just leaving it at, you know, some sort of origin point anyway is, is means you don't have to subtract the camera's location from the object's location and things like that. So to get started, um, we're going to put some graphics in here. And to do that, uh, because, well, because I like keeping my projects organized, I'm going to create a folder in our project called Sprites. Um, that's going to come in under Assets. Assets. And then I'm going to grab these three placeholder sprites. So we've got a little bullet, we've got an enemy ship, and we've got a player ship. Um, I find this is a really good way to start developing. You can prototype the gameplay before you get um, too into what it's actually going to look like. And you can also kind of, like, for example, I think I've... I think this is like 64 by 64 or something like that. Um, you know, we could also adjust the sizes, but this kind of helps us dial in the, the sizes of the graphics that we want. So what I can do is I can come in here. We want a player ship. So I'm just going to grab that ship object and drag it into the scene. Um, and you'll see over here it creates a ship object and the ship has a transform position of negative 5.96 and it's not quite, I'll put it at zero on the y-axis. And it has a component called a sprite renderer. And all the sprite renderer component uh, does is tell Unity at this position, at the game object's position, draw this image. So I'm going to press play and we see our ship, but if I hit keys or do anything, nothing happens because I haven't told Unity what to do with this. Um, so first of all, I notice it's a little bit small. I'm going to come in here and change our orthographic size to three. And that's maybe a little closer to what I want. Uh, actually, let me change this to 16. Ooh. Yeah, let me set this to 16.9, so there we go. Um, all right, so to move the ship, we're going to have to write some code. And again, I'm going to come in here and create a folder called scripts to keep those organized. And I'm going to create a C-sharp script 
called ship move and double click it to have it open in Visual Studio Code. So these scripts are basically how you add logic and make your game objects do things, right? Yes. So a, a script basically is, um, it inherits from an object called mono behavior. And um, although, you know, if you know C-sharp, you can create other C-sharp objects in your game uh, to do different things. But a script essentially creates another component that can hang off of a game object, kind of like we saw with the camera and the uh, sprite renderer. Let me make sure that's actually opening. Okay, there we go. Okay. All right. So uh, you have to you have to do a little work to get uh, some of this working in. Wait, that's not the folder I wanted open. Okay, hold on. Yeah, your Visual Studio looks a lot different than mine. Are you? It looks like you're using Visual Studio Code. Uh, yes, yes, so, I'm using. This may be more technical than you want to get, but you are able to set whatever editor you want to use to edit your scripts. Yeah, because I think okay. I. I actually set it up to use Vim one time <laughs> to edit my Unity scripts on Mac. Yeah. The the advantage to using Visual Studio uh, or Visual Studio Code is you can get autocomplete, um, which we'll see that's going to make this a lot easier. So first thing I want to do, uh, well, actually, let me back up. So Unity creates the ship move class. Um, and let me zoom in here a bit. Ship move is just um, when we talk about a class, uh, what we're just saying is this is a template for an instance of something. So every time uh, we add this component to a game object, we're just saying here's the information I want that component to track, and here's what I want that component to do. Uh, it inherits from a class called mono behavior, so we're going to see like I'm accessing some things on the object that don't exist. That's where it's coming from. Unity kind of says every game component has this basic set of functionality. Unity will also give us these start and update methods that um, uh, are probably going to be what you're going to use for most components. So start gets called when an object uh, gets created, whether that's um, when you start your game or um, later if you've got something that spawns new objects. Update gets called once a frame. So essentially, update's going to run once every 60 seconds, ideally. Um, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to come in here and say, I want to create a variable that tells us how fast this ship will move. Uh, you'll see it's a public variable. Um, Unity kind of does some magic stuff with that uh, that we'll see in a bit. And um, essentially what I want to do is I want to execute some code every time the frame updates. So what I want to do 
is I'm going to come out and I'm going to get access, input.getAxis, um, to tell me uh, between negative one and one where, you know, what, uh, where does the user have the joystick or, or where does the user have like the arrow keys or the WASD keys. Um, we'll talk a little bit in a second about where Unity is, how Unity knows to map those keys or to map joysticks to an axis called horizontal. So we're going to take that and we're going to multiply that by the speed. And we're also going to multiply that by a number called time.delta time. And all time.delta time is, is the amount of time between the last frame that was rendered. And that way, because that, depending on how long it takes to, to render a frame, that can take more or less time. This is just going to make sure that things run smoothly. Um, so basically what we're saying is um, if, basically what this works out to is if the user is pressing all the way right on the joystick, um, we're going to move our ship 10 units every second. And we're going to do the same thing for the vertical axis. And again, you can see as I type things, I'm getting, you know, if I type time, I see all the, the information I can get from the time class. If I type input, I can, I, I can see all that. It really helps because I don't have to memorize uh, the, the um, uh, API. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that, I'm going to say, give me the, the amount we want to move this frame in the x direction, the amount we want to move on the uh, y axis, this frame. And I'm going to grab that transform component. So this object dot transform is saying, give me the transform on this game object. I'm just going to say translate. Um, Actually, I don't even have to do that. Um, so movement X, movement Y, and it's asking us for a Z axis component. We're just going to say zero because this is a 2D game and we don't care. All right. So I'm going to save ship move. Come back here. And Unity is going to take a second to recompile that. And I'm going to drag that component over to um, the ship object in the inspector. So what you'll see is um, I've now got a ship move script and that speed variable that we created is there by default. So I can, as we're debugging, I can tweak the speed that the ship uh, moves at. So I can kind of dial in the feel that I want. Um, all right, so with that being said, I'm going to make sure we maximize on play because that's, that's going to make it a little bit easier to see. And I'm going to click play. So now if I hold down the arrow key, the ship moves. I can move it up, I can move it down, uh, left and right. Um, we have found one of our issues here is if I just hold right, 
it's just going to keep going. Um, and we can actually, if we pause the, the, the execution and zoom out, you can see that the ship is way over here. This is the screen. This little white rectangle is the screen. This is the ship. That's, that's not good gameplay. Obviously, we don't want to do that. Um, so I'm going to add some extra logic into our ship move script. And what I'm going to do, um, actually, let me go back. Um, I, I said we were getting the horizontal and vertical axis. Uh, if you go to edit, um, project settings input, you'll see all the axes and buttons that Unity has defined. So there's a horizontal, vertical, fire one, fire two, fire three, jump. It, it's really what you would expect if you were building a, um, like a first person shooter. So that's why the WASD keys and the arrow keys are, are getting mapped to horizontal and vertical. So that's that's just one thing we didn't have to think about. Um, we could come in and reconfigure it if we wanted to, but it's good enough for what we're doing. Yeah, usually those defaults are pretty good, but sometimes I like want fire on space bar instead of control, left control, so you can go in there and change those. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely something you kind of have to figure out for your game. Um, and those are saved in a directory called project settings. So you can check them into source control and move them around with your game. All right. So essentially what we want to do, what, what we're doing in the update method is we're taking that sprite, we're saying, pick it up from this location, set it down in this other location. We just want to make sure that where we're setting it down is within the bounds of the camera. So, um, so what I'm going to do is first I'm going to get screen width. Um, I'm going to get the screen width and the screen height, and we're going to check where the player's position is relative to those things. So um, the screen width is, um, we can get that from the camera object. So camera.main gives you the main camera. It is possible to have multiple cameras in your game. For most games, you know, for really simple games, you're just going to have one ca camera most times. And we're going to get the orthographic size. So the orthographic size is going to tell us how many units um, are being shown from the center of the screen to the bottom of the screen or to the top of the screen. And we're going to multiply that by a, ver a variable called um, aspect. So aspect is just the, the um, aspect ratio, the, the ratio of the height of the screen to the width of the screen. So if we say um, orthographic size times aspect ratio, we get actually half the width of the screen. And we're going to do the same thing. We can just do camera.main.orthographic size and get the height of the screen. Um, if we're building a full game, and use this logic a lot, we'd probably move it into its own code, but we're just going to put it here for the sake of example. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to grab the world position of the current object. I'm going to go this.transform.position. And what I'm going to say is for the x-coordinate, uh, 
if it's between negative screen width or positive, or if it's if it's between negative screen width and positive screen width, um, just leave the position the same. But if it if it's outside the bounds, reset it to either the left edge of the screen or the right edge of the screen. We're doing that with the clamp function. Again, this is where leaving the camera at zero zero is easy because we don't have to do any math to figure out you know where the camera actually is. All right, so we're going to do the same thing with the uh, Y position. I'm going to say clamp position Y between uh, negative screen height and positive screen height. And then all I'm going to do is just tell uh, Unity to set the um, position of this object back to the clamped value. All right. So after I save this, Unity is going to recompile. It's going to update the component. And, and now I can't move past the bounds of the screen. So we've kind of got our ship movement for the most part the way we want it, just basic ship movement. So what's the next thing we want to happen? Um, well, we probably want our ship to be able to shoot at something. So I'm going to drag in this bullet object, and we're going to create, again, another sprite. Um, and again, if I just hit play, Unity doesn't know what to do with that. It's just, you know, it's just there. Um, so we're going to have to create another script for the bullet. So what we're going to do is we're going to create a script called player bullet. And this script is actually going to be much easier than the one for the ship. Um, hmm. uh, what we're going to do is the, the bullet is always going to move in the positive x direction. So we're just going to say on every frame this.transform.translate um, speed times time delta time and zero zero so so I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna hit start and the bullets just gonna keep going in fact if we zoom out we can see it off the screen there. Um, we don't really want our bullet to just keep going on forever because then we're going to have all these objects just floating around and it's going to take up resources. Um, so we're going to do something similar to what we did in the ship, with the ship. We're going to um, we're going to figure out what the screen width is. So camera.main.orthographic.size times camera.main.aspect. And we're going to say if this transform position x, if the, if the position of the bullet is ever greater than the screen width, then destroy 
the game object that this, um, this script is attached to. So what we're going to see now is I'll come out here. Let me make sure I save that. Hit play. The bullet goes off the screen, and you can see over here in the hierarchy that the ship or the uh, bullet object is gone. So as soon as it hit the edge of the screen, it destroyed the bullet object. So we're getting closer. The next thing we want to do is have our ship actually fire the bullet. Um, and to do this, we're going to use a concept uh, that Unity calls calls prefabs. So I'm going to create a prefab folder here. I've got my working bullet. I'm just going to drag that bullet down into the prefabs folder. It's going to create essentially a template for that bullet. So I can, I can reference this template and create as many of these bullets as I want. What I'm going to do is I'm going to come in, I'm going to come back into the ship move uh, class. And I'm going to create, let me double check, this is, yep. I'm going to create a, another public variable called bullet prefab. I'm going to come into the update statement. I'm going to say if input get button fire one. So if, if the user is, oh, autocomplete kind of screwed me over there. All right. If, if the player is pressing fire one, we're going to, uh, we're going to create a copy of the bullet. We're going to instantiate um, bullet prefab. And we're just going to do it at the same um, transform position, transform local rotation. So we're, we're going to create it at the ship's position. And now we're going to come back to Unity, let that update. Um, let me double check. Hmm. Oh, I did not click save in Visual Studio. Now you got to watch out for the difference between get button and get button down, because get button down calls it exactly once, and get button I think does it every frame. Yes, we're we're about to we're about to see see what that means. Oh, okay. <laughs> Here. All right, so I'm going to take this bullet prefab. I've got that bullet prefab variable that I created in the script. And I'm basically telling this component, every time you use that bullet prefab, here's the template I want you to use. So I can come in here, and I can hold down control, and you see that is just a complete string of bullets. Every, every frame, we're creating a new one. And that is probably not what we want. It might be. That's probably not what we want. Like if you're doing a flamethrower or something, that would be good. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do, uh, like Levi said, we have two other methods called input get button down and input get button up. And instead of testing whether the button is pressed, this this tests whether the the state of the button has changed. So for example, if I do get button down, what I'm saying is last frame the button was not pressed, this frame it is. Um, so we're going to come in here, and now, wait, 
What happened? And I did not save again, so... I heard a chat bubble pop up, I think. Um, I'm not sure. I didn't know if someone had a... Yeah, I don't see any in the, in the Google Hangout chat. Alright. So now, um, every time I hit control, it's going to fire exactly one bullet, and if I don't let up on control, I can't fire another one. Um, this is nice, but again, for, for like a fast-paced space shooter, that's probably not what we want. Um, what we probably want is for there to be a pause, you know, where the, the ship, um, you know, takes a second and then um, fires again. So what we're going to do um, is we're going to essentially create a little timer. So I'm going to create a, um, a variable called shoot time, which is just going to tell us how, how much time we want to allow between bullets and, and a timer to keep track of it. Once again, there, there are many ways you could do this. You could go into coroutines. We're going we're gonna to do this kind of the simple way, the, kind of the basic way. So what we're going to do is we're going to say if the timer is less than or equal to zero, then we're going to do our normal logic where we test for the fire button. And if the user presses the fire button, we're going to reset the timer. However, if, um, if the timer is ever greater than zero, we're just going to subtract time delta time from it. So frame renders, we s subtract the amount of time it um, took to render the last frame until we count down to one second, and then we allow firing again. So I'm going to change this back to get button and give it a second and hit play. All right. So now I can hold down control and every second it's going to fire a new bullet. It feels a little bit slow, so I'm going to come in here and change the shoot time to half a second. And that actually feels a little bit better to me. But again, you know, um, that's kind of some decisions you'd have to make about what, what kind of feel you want for the game. So it just adds that little bit of a lockout, so you can't just, like, mash your button over and over again to get a million bullets. So yeah. And again, there's multiple ways of doing this. Um, you know, the Unity has a concept called coroutines, which sim simply kind of like executes a procedure and then puts little stops every frame in it. Um, I, I do it the way that you did it. I have like little countdown variables all over my code. Is like, oh, yeah. Okay, if this is greater than zero, then subtract it off until you get to zero, and then you can do whatever you need to do again. Yeah, and I do that in most cases. Um, Another thing to get into is if you're if you're actually building a a game, especially a game you want to put on um, mobile or some device other than a PC, you're probably not going to just keep spinning up new objects. You're probably going to use a technique called object pooling, 
um, which is a little more complicated, and so I'm not going to get into it here. But um, you know, if we wanted to come back and replace this instantiate call with object pooling, we could definitely do that later. All right. So we've got the the player can move the ship around, and the player can fire. Uh, the next thing we need is some enemies to shoot at. Um, and this is going to be pretty similar to, to the bullets. Um, we drag the enemy to the uh, scene, and it just does nothing. Um, so we're going to need a script. So I'm going to create a C-sharp script called enemy ship. And, and really, to start out with, enemy ship is just going to be um, the reverse of player bullet. Um, a, you know, the enemy ship is just going to continually move in the negative x direction forever. So I'm going to say this transform tran translate negative speed times uh, time delta time zero zero and again we want the we want the ship to get destroyed if it ever crosses the left edge of the screen okay, so I'm gonna say camera dot main orthographic size times camera dot main dot aspect ratio to get the size of the screen um, and if the ship's X position is ever less than negative screen width, then I'm going to destroy uh, the game object. And I don't know why I hit play, because I have not done... Okay, there we go. So I'm going to take this enemy ship, and I'm going to drag it onto the enemy object. And I'm going to hit play. So now we'll see that the ship moves, it hits the left edge, it gets destroyed, but, you know, as you can tell, we can't destroy it and it can't destroy us. So we're going to have to um, look for some collisions and, and react to those collisions now. Um, again, this is one of those things that there's lots of ways to handle. Um, Unity has an entire uh, physics engine. Um, uh, you can you can set up colliders. You can do you can do that check in your own code. Um, what we're gonna do, though, uh, like I said, is we're gonna use something called a collider. So I'm gonna go to the enemy ship, and I'm gonna go to add component, and I'm gonna say I'm gonna search for collider. And what I'm gonna add. What I'm going to select here is Polygon Collider 2D. Unity has a 2D and a 3D physics engine. They don't interact. I'm going to choose to use 2D because we don't, you know, we don't need anything more complicated than that. Um, when I add the Polygon Collider, you'll see that the ship now has a green outline around it. It uses the transparency to kind of figure out where the bounds of that sprite are. Um, I'm going to do a couple things here. One, I'm going to set this collider as a trigger, which means um, it doesn't block movement. You can uh, you can go through it. 
Um, I think, actually, I think that's all I need to do on this right now. Um, now, if we came in later and decided we wanted to actually use a circle collider or a rectangle, um, we could replace this collider and the functionality would still be the same. So Unity kind of add allows you to move pieces in and out like that, at, at least in, in terms of colliders. The other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to add a rigid body 2D to this. Um, and a, I think I need kinematic, yes. Um, rigid body 2D is kind of like a basic um, object used by the physics system. We, we're going to have to have these attached to our objects to um, make them detect collision. So I'm going to do that to the enemy ship. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to do the same thing to the bullet. I'm going to add a rigid body 2D. Um, I'm going to apply those changes to the prefab. Um, and in this case, I'm just going to add a circle collider because we don't need anything too complicated for this bullet. It's just a bullet. Um, and I'm going to say that that's a trigger as well. So now I can press play. Things still work the same way. Um, nothing happens. So we've, we've got the colliders. Now we need to make them do something. So what we're going to do... Um, and again, there's lots of ways you can do this because essentially you've got two colliders and we have to figure out which one is sending the message to the other one. You know, there's a hundred different ways to do this. I'm going to show a couple ways here just so we kind of cover the basics of how this works. Um, Let's see. So I'm going to go into the player bullet script, and I'm going to add in a new uh, method. And this method is going to be called onTriggerEnter2D. Um, and it's going to take a Collider2D parameter. Um, this is, you know, if, if you're familiar with C Sharp, this is going to feel kind of weird because you'll notice I'm not overriding anything. I'm just creating a method with kind of this special name that Unity knows what to do with. What's going to happen is whenever a trigger collider uh, interacts with the player bullet collider, it's going to call this method on the player bullet and it's going to pass in the object that it ran into. So what we want to do is we want to take whatever object the player bullet ran into and we're going to use this method called send message. Um, and we're going to send a message called player bullet hit. And we do not care if the object it ran into um, has a receiver. So, you know, this basically means like the player bullet is going to generate this message um, when it runs into the player ship, but you know, we don't want it to do anything. All right. So we're sending whatever it ran into the player bullet hit message. We're going to come over to the enemy ship and we're going to create a method called player bullet hit. 
no parameters. And we're basically going to say, again, destroy this game object. Um, as we developed our game, we might want to have this play sounds. We might want to have this spawn some other effects. But right now, we just want the player bullet to kill the enemy ship. So I'm going to give this a second to recompile. Hit play. And that did not work. Why did that not work? Let me double check. Yeah, I know sometimes those kinematic settings can mess things up with the collision engine. Like, typically I do the three stuff, but I think the 2D works similarly. Yeah. Player bullet hit. I was about to mention one good thing about Unity, you can always put debug.log in there and you can kind of see what's going on. Yep. Yeah, and when you use debug.log, that just put outputs to your little console tab there. You can see whatever, you can put in variables or messages and things like that. And that actually worked, so I think maybe I didn't have oh, something there. saved. Hmm. It's okay. So we see that we can we can now destroy the ship. Of course, we can still run into the ship, but you know it's a start. Um, all right, so we want to be able to make the enemies kill the player now. Um, and essentially, we're going to do the exact same thing. We're going to detect that, or actually, first let me go back. We have to add a collider to the ship. I'm going to add a polygon collider, and we can see uh, this didn't fit as neatly. We could come in and correct it if we wanted to. Um, you know, we, we might not want to do that yet because we don't have our final art in here. Um, but we've got a. That is pretty cool that it tries to figure out the polygon, but I guess it just does its best guess. And if you got pixels that are half transparent then it doesn't exactly know how to get around that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably what's happening. I don't remember when I'm how this was set up when I made this image. Alright. So now we've got a collider on the player ship and it's going to trigger collisions as well. Um This is not necessarily the way you would write this, but I want to um, I, I want to kind of demonstrate that you can pass more information in uh, to a message. So again, on the on the player ship, we're going to create a method called onTriggerInner2D. It gets the object that uh, it runs into. And what we're going to do is we're going to have the player ship send a message to whatever it runs into called player hit. And it's going to send a copy of itself. It's going to send a copy of the object to whatever gets hit. 
And again, we don't want to require a receiver. All right, so we're going to go to the enemy ship and we're going to create a method called void player hit. Um, and it's going to get a copy of the ship move class. And all we're going to do is just say destroy the game object that that player ship was attached to. Um, yeah, so and basically again, it's like a reference to the ship that you're passing in. Right? Yes. Yeah. And again, we might want to, um, you know, we might want to trigger some other effects here. We probably want to actually change the state of our game to a, a game over. Um, if we were building a full game, but this should do pretty well. It hits the player ship. There's no more player. You know, you can't continue playing. We, we kind of have a simple game over state here. All right. So, I mean, we've got kind of a working game. Uh, we can shoot, we can kill the enemy. Um, the only problem is once you kill the enemy, it's gone nothing else happens and that's not really a fun game um we could obviously you know create new enemy ships out here and 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 build build out a level um but um what i really like to do here is just create like an ongoing endless shooter type of thing um so i'm going to create a class or c sharp script called uh, enemy spawn and what this is going to do is we're going to just continually spawn copies of enemy ships um, so I'm going to create a uh, like like we did in the uh, with the bullet I'm going to create a prefab or a variable called enemy prefab where we're going to store prefab of the enemy ship Actually, I need to make that the transform because that's the object I want to get back. Um, I'm going to create a... Um, yeah, two seconds is okay. I'm going to create a timer uh, called spawn time, and that's how often we want ships to spawn. And I'm going to create a timer variable called spawn timer. And all I'm going to do is I'm going to say... If our timer is less than or equal to zero, then what we want to do is we want to get the screen width because we want these to spawn at the right edge of the screen. Uh, orthographic size. And I also want to get the screen height because we want to, we want to, um, we want to spawn at a random position, and I'm going to need to know what our bounds are. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to say uh, instantiate uh, a copy of the enemy ship, and I'm going to create a new vector three. So Unity has um, vector two and vector three objects that you can use to uh, send copies of x and y or x, y, and z coordinates, and vector the, the x-coordinate is going to be uh, screen width, so it's the right edge of the screen. The y-coordinate is going to be a random number in the range of negative screen width or negative screen height 
to positive screen height. So basically anywhere from the top to the bottom of the screen. And the Z coordinate is just going to be zero. And then um, I want to pass in a rotation of zero on the x-axis, zero on the y-axis, zero on the zero or z-axis um, with this quaternion, which is a whole other um, set of issues. Um, enemy ship, why is that giving me, oh, enemy prefab. All right, so spawn timer reaches zero. We instantiate a copy of the enemy at the right edge of the screen at a random position on the edge. You know, just normal rotation, normal Z value. And the next thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to reset the spawn timer. So that's what we do if the spawn timer reaches zero. Otherwise, um, we're just going to tick down. Yeah, so for anybody coming from Game Maker, it's very similar to an alarm where you just set a time, then after that alarm hits zero, then you do something and you can restart it again. Yeah. All right. So um, I've got that set up. One thing you'll notice, like all of our other scripts had to be attached to an object. We cared about the position of that script in the world. And we, we maybe even had multiple copies of it. For the enemy spawner, there we go. For the enemy spawner, we really only need one. Um, what I like to do for simple games is just attach that to my camera object. So all kind of the, the engine details are associated with the camera because there's just one camera. So what we're gonna see here is we've got the enemy spawn script um, we need an enemy prefab, which we can do by just going to the enemy, dragging it down to the prefabs folder. I'm going to delete the initial one. Um, and dragging the enemy... Wait. What did I do there? Oh, I dragged the sprite instead of the prefab. Never mind. That is the fun of live coding demos. So I'm I'm telling the spawner that I want to spawn that enemy object every two seconds. So when we hit play, that's just what I'm going to get. And then when I hit an enemy, the game is essentially over, although the spawner continues. So, I mean, this this isn't going to win us any awards, but we've got a working game. Um, what we might want to do in the future, let's say, you know, we, we work with our artist and we get some, um, some actual art assets in. I can come in here, open up the sprites folder in my Unity project, um, and then take, take our final assets, just replace those files with them. And now Unity is going to update. It's going to see the new, uh, the new images in the folder. Um, 
polygons are still going to be associated with the um, old images. Um, but now, you know, I've got essentially a working game. That's very cool. I mean, this is like the first step anybody out there that wants to get into game dev. I mean, this is the first thing you should jump into is just like getting something moving around, getting enemies and learning how to do collisions. Yeah. And like I said, not all of this, like I, I can look at like movement. I should probably be using the physics engine. So, um, you know, I'm so that it's testing the the entire movement, not just the start and end points. Uh, you know, I should be doing object pooling. I should be doing all these other things, but the important first step is just getting something working. Yeah. Yeah, and you can like extend this. I mean, many different ways. Like whenever you shoot an enemy, then you can have a score, and you can add to the score. Have a certain number of lives whenever you get hit. You can, subtract your lives but but this is like the basic core i mean you got to do this you got to take this, this first step before you can do other things yeah and those those things are essentially other systems we build in that that we would build in that you know the ship or the enemy communicates with to tell you hey we've got a game over state now um so like the the actual components in the game wouldn't necessarily look different and also, if anybody out there is wanting to get into 3D games, I mean, all these concepts, Dylan, that you explained to us, I mean, these all apply to 3D as well. I mean, except instead of using Transform 2D or what was it, Collision 2D, just use uh, Collision. And yeah. So all the concepts are basically the same. Yeah. All right. That's a very excellent introduction to Unity. <laughs> Yeah, we appreciate that, Dylan. Yeah, hopefully people find this video online and anybody out there wanting to get into game development, uh, check this out and create their own little space shooter. Yeah. Do anyone have any questions? No, good job, Dylan. Okay, thanks. I've done this a couple times as just a panel and I figured, you know, it's probably... Levi and I know Unity, like a lot of people in the group know Unity, but you know, a lot of people are kind of new to it, so it might be helpful. Yeah, very cool. I think it was a great introduction there for anybody learning, wanting to learn more about Unity and get into game development. Oh, it looks like Drew Ragsdale joined us. Hey, Drew. I can't hear you. <laughs> Oh no. Yeah, I still can't hear you. I see your mic there. It looks like it's on, but something's not connected. Mm. Yeah, I know Drew has been working on uh, Unity game, or not Unity, Game Maker games. The uh, space shooters, very similar to what Dylan was showing us. And I think we showed off one of Drew's games last month. Um, the space shooter that he's been working on. But yeah, Dylan, you and I met Drew at the Retro Game Night at McKay's. Uh, I guess it was around June or July sometime. And uh, yeah. got to show off some of our games there. 
Yeah, I see your mic is blinking there. It's kind of like mine that I have here. So I think that means it's muted. I think. I wonder if yeah, or I wonder if it's like Hangouts has. You have to pick which device you want to use. Yeah, is there's like a triple. I wonder if I can share. Oh yeah, I hear you, but you're breaking up a little bit. Okay, so okay. this is this is okay. working. So yeah, good okay. now. Awesome. Appreciate the Unity intro because I I plan on moving to Unity eventually, but right now I'm just working with Game Maker because I'm not a programmer. I don't know. I I know very little about programming, but I followed so many tutorials. I'm starting to get a little bit of experience with it, and I was going to start with Game Maker because I heard it's the easiest, and then. Uh, Eventually, I'll move up for plan on doing 3D, which I hopefully will get to at some point. But uh, yeah, I started off with tutorials exactly like that, so I really appreciate it, man. And also, I love the Zelda uh, poster, the uh, the frame oh. in the background. Yeah, I got that at Momocon. I think there's a cool. guy doing art of old retro games. Yeah, um, that's awesome. yeah. Like, and the point of the demo here is just creating a bare bones script. You could also probably likely find libraries that would do some of this or asset store tools. Like I know Levi's done tools on or uh, demos on Playmaker that instead of going in and writing code, you could do something that's a little more, a little closer to Game Maker. Yeah. Yeah. Some, some of that I was able to follow. Uh, I don't really know the like vocabulary of Unity at all, but I was able to follow like the structure of everything. So I think uh, yeah. with, with some, some teaching and learning and stuff I could I could eventually scoot into it, but for now I'm just gonna stick with Game Maker for now. But I like what Unity is capable of, obviously. It's infinitely powerful, you know. Uh, so eventually I'll move up to that. Yeah, I know a lot of great games have been made in Game Maker and Unity. Uh, I don't know if we have ever done like a discussion on like the differences between. I mean, the one limitation to Game Maker is if you do want to get into 3D. I know it has like a simplistic. I know Jacob has made some really neat stuff in the 3D Game Maker tool, but it kind of looks like Wolfenstein 3D. So if you do want to get into where you're using real models and animations and things like that, then yeah, you would need to move into Unity for that. Yeah. Yeah, I've 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 got like a whole I've got a couple of notebooks that I keep and anytime I get an idea I jot it down and I've got a couple ideas for 3D games but I'm I'm almost I mostly just play retro video games, older stuff. Uh the the event at McKay's was something I pretty much throw with help from a couple other guys. Um but a lot of the games that I'm working on are just imitations of uh, like the um, so yeah, like you know, you see like a couple years ago, Metroidvanias were pretty rare, and now they are everywhere. And I really think that it's just a bunch of bunch of dudes in their thirties and forties who are finally like able to get into game development or find the games of Metroid Castlevanias, basically, which is great for me because I love that stuff, but. Yeah, I think we're all looking for the next big hit, and I think you just got to find that one one thing that nobody else has done before that's unique and novel, and yeah. But yeah, I, I started out like on Metroid and all those games, Castlevania. I just finished Symphony of the Night for the uh, 
PlayStation 4 they recently re-released at. But to make a game on that scale takes like numerous hours and many people on a project team. I guess it is possible like to do it solo, but um... yeah, it's it's a pretty big pretty big task though. But yeah, it's a those are my favorite. I plan on eventually trying to make something like that. But the projects I'm working on base shoot um, and I don't exactly know how to share that but I can try to do that here in a minute so oh. I see if there's like a screen share function yeah uh, if you hover your mouse over Google Hangouts there should be like three little dots not in the browser window but in over the video overlay then you can go to share screen yeah then you can just pick your screen oh yeah there it is cool yeah I can uh yeah, so at some point, if you guys care to see it, I can show you a couple of the things I'm working on. Yeah, that'd but, uh, be great. Yeah, I think we're we pretty wrapped up, pretty much wrapped up our part. So if you have something to share, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I meant to get here earlier, but Sunday's my day to kind of get chores done and everything. So let's see. Yep. So your screen there. Hey, there we go. Um, let's set this up real quick. Um, so this is the one that I showed you guys at the game night. Uh, the volume might be kind of weird on it. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, I don't know if you heard us earlier, but uh, there is a Game Maker uh, Game Jam next weekend. It's called GM48. Uh, yeah. 48.net. So if you're interested, it does take like a uh, time commitment to do it, but <laughs> I think... Yeah, that's that's the things. I have very little time, but I'll... I'll see what the theme is and if i think i can work within those parameters i'll do it um yeah, yeah i think they're voting on themes right now and i think they announce it next friday cool i'll check it out okay so i'm just gonna warn you that like i said the volume might be off but okay <laughs> uh so i've got you can you can uh, charge your shot and if you kill multiple enemies in one shot you get a little combo multiplier your points go up you've got uh rapid fire if you want uh I made it so that you level up when you kill things and you get new weapons and stuff as you level up. This was just a demo, so the basically the rewards for leveling it up would be spaced out a little more. But, um... Uh, yeah, for now, I just kind of, like, rushed all that stuff in. Yeah, kind of uh, reminds me of, like, R-Type and those old-school yeah. space shooters where you got multiple multiple weapons and you can power up and got all these enemies flying at you and everything yeah. else. Yeah. You've got like these little options that spin around you and that's from like uh, Gradius. You can absorb bullets. Uh, if you absorb enough of them, you get that like mega crush kind of deal. Now, get more now, these... now what does the combo do for you? Does that give you more points or does that give it you... gives you more points? It's a, oh. Okay, so that, what just happened, um, I haven't played this in a long time, so it's actually kind of tough, and uh, I'm trying to, there we go, alright, so I'll nice. explain everything here in a second. Um, there you go, you got your stats at the end of the game, so shots, fire, person, there's a few, there's like a line of code that I forgot for a certain enemy or another, so like, that those stats aren't perfect, but ideally in the future I'll make it so that at the end of the level you get experience points based on like uh, 
if you shot down, if you missed less than 50% or less than points for like, oh, you absorbed 20 shots or 100% of your shots or whatever. So you've got all these different options in the game, uh, such as, you know, you can, you can absorb bullets that come at you. Uh, let's see, you can charge a shot, you can do rapid fire. You can also, I forgot. Okay, and then you can even like change weapons. But I found that you just kind of stay with this weapon and you never want to move away from it because it just murders everything on the screen. So I need to do some balancing. The idea is that these little gold coins that fall out would be used for, as like a currency that between levels you could purchase upgrades. So you would have different kinds of upgrades. Some would be from leveling up. Some would be from... Uh, getting them from a boss like Mega Man, and then some of them you would purchase between levels. Um, and the other weapon is this little directional shot. And each of their charge beams do something different. So, like, that one kind of fires off and explodes. Yeah. Uh, There's definitely an art to you... balancing games. It's like, you go in, you change one thing, then that affects five other things. Uh, so I know how it is. Yeah. I've got it set so that you're invincible for a second after you get hit, and if your hit points ever go below zero, the moment they do, you have one left hit, uh, one hit left. So if you get hit with a beam that would normally kill you, you're actually at one hit point, and you, uh, after that, you know, after you get hit with that one hit point left, you have this like revive circle that comes around you. So I'm in critical state right now. Whenever I get hit with anything, it's going to put me in revive state. And if you time it right when the circles line up and you hit the absorb button, you can actually get your full life bar back. But oh. each time you do it, it's, the circle closes down on you um, like twice as fast as it did the last time. But there's a bunch of like kind of checks and balances in there so that your hitbox gets smaller each time you get hit. And it's only by a pixel or two, but that's to make it so that, you know, when... Oh, I actually did. I've never done that three times in a row. Uh, it's meant so that, you know, as you're closer to dying, you feel like you're doing better um, so that you stay alive longer and everything feels like a really tense battle. And then I explode, so I died. Um, and I don't know if you noticed, but that boss, the, the middle core exploded the second I showed up, and that's because those hit points scale based on how, uh, how many hit points you have. Mm -hmm. And I meant to do it whatever you're like, basically, so that if you got to the boss and you were really low, it would be pretty easy to kill. And if you were got to the boss and you were fully maxed out, then the boss was pretty hard to kill. Uh, and that way, it was meant to be basically that you didn't just kill the boss in, like, two hits if you were max power. Or if you died before you got to the boss and you lost your power-ups, you wouldn't just, you know, you wouldn't have, like, no chance of surviving. Because uh, in the old, like, Gradius and Life Force, that's basically what happens. If you're fully powered up and you get pretty far into the game, as soon as you die and you lose those power-ups, you're just done. You might as well restart the game. You're never going to get... Unless you're just an absolute master, you're never going to be able to take on the boss without, like, your power-ups. So it's kind of like um, an inverse ratio. The more closer that you are to death, the more power you have to attack yeah, the boss. And, yeah, and so, like... When hit, that middle core exploded, that was kind of an accident on my part where the math was wrong because I had zero hit points. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so it multiplied by zero. And uh, so it just based part where it's supposed to be, you know, 
have so many more hit points than you, but yeah, I keep screwing that up. But uh, yeah, so I've seen that done in a lot of fighting games as one character gets closer to death and they either get more power or the enemy or as the enemy has more health and they're easier to kill. So it kind of keeps it balanced, like you were saying. Or as you're getting closer to death, you get a special move, like your one last coupe de grace or whatever that you can use yeah yeah so the idea was like this this give and take everything i was trying to make was like a give and take so it's like are you closer to dying well you're harder to kill because your hitbox gets smaller you don't see that but i was reading this uh twitter feed where all these game devs were talking about things that make their games better and um i think bioshock or one of these games they were saying that the first shot that's ever fired in any kind of firefight misses you 100 of the time no matter what and that's to give you that's so you don't just get shot in the back die from a character or an enemy you never even see. Um, Doom, I think they were saying that your last hit point is actually your defense skyrockets. So you like uh, bullets that should take off 10% of your health every time when you're on your last hit point, that bullet is super weak so that you can barely survive that firefight and feel like, oh my god, I barely made it. That was so cool. I'm great at this game. And so everything is kind of this give and take to where like, are you closer to death? Well, the game makes help. The game makes you better the closer you are to death, so that you can survive longer. Um, I went on some Facebook groups, and I, I I'm on the Sega Saturn fan group because I love the Saturn. And uh, I was asking those guys like, hey man, the Saturn had some awesome shoot 'em ups. What's the most frustrating thing about that, and what do you like? And everybody was like, don't make it so one hit kills. I, I can never beat those games. I love them, but I can't beat them. And I was like, okay, well, I'll make it so that you've got a life bar. You've got to defend that. that you've got the the one last, like the critical alert system where you're, when you get hit by something that would kill you normally, you have that one last hit point. And then even after you die, you have a chance to revive yourself. And so there's all these different chances. Um, I was hoping that something like that would make it more accessible because you want a game to be challenging but not frustrating, unless it's Dark Souls, in which case people love it. But oh yeah, uh, I, over the weekend I was watching uh, Awesome Games Done Quick. That was this weekend, and like some of those people were like running Zelda: Link to the Past, one hit death. So some people are like oh, really man. into that, but it's like one hit and you got to start all over. Yeah, um, this is a little. Just project I was working on. It's River City Ransom for the regular Nintendo, which is one of my favorite games of all time. But I made it so that your character gets larger as they get to closer to the screen. Oh. And smaller, so they've got some scaling. And then I went through and I I made it so it has parallax scrolling. Mm-hmm. So it's and then I added objects in the foreground that are out of focus. Oh, that's very cool. And so like I, I had to kind of deconstruct the the sprite sheets and fill in all the gaps because a lot of that, that was just a static image, you know, and I had to basically layer everything carefully. And then this one also is kind of cool where you can see all the, you can see the depth really clearly. Um, kind of goofed up on the far right there. This game doesn't do anything besides that. Uh, I, I was, I had an idea that this would work and I got it to work, but I, at the time I didn't even really know how to make the character jump or anything. Yeah. Uh, it, not not on like a I could if it was a two D platformer, but like this pseudo Z. But I also made it so that the character has a shadow that actually matches its sprite. It's hard to tell because the 
there's so such limited animation, but um, it actually does match whatever the character's doing. Yeah, I think so a game like happy. this, in order to simulate jumping, that shadow becomes very important because you yeah. keep your shadow where the ground is, then move your character up. Otherwise, if you didn't have the shadow, it'd just look like the character's moving up in the screen. Yeah, and uh, the way this is programmed, because it was very poorly done, and I, I was basically just doing it as a proof of concept, uh, if you were to jump, you would get really tiny because it's strictly based on where you are on and stuff like this. Just kind of walk off the top of the screen and get really, really tiny and run along the, the telephone pole. There if you you want. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of just a proof of concept. So I really like the way it looks from here down. That's pretty convincing. It looks pretty cool. Um, and that's all that. That was kind of fun. Uh, the first game I did... Nope, sorry, that's the wrong one. Uh, the first game I did that I think I showed you guys at the game night... Uh, I can't seem to find now. Rats. Mm. Well, that was another... It was just a different space shooter. Um, it was vertical scrolling randomly from the top. And basically a lot of the ideas that I put in the other one were there where... The, the more points you have, the faster enemies came at you. So you were more likely to die. But I also made it so that the power-ups got better and more frequent try to make it a little more uh, so again so that you could live longer so you got more armor ups and invincibilities and bombs and stuff that would go off and that way you would be able to live longer and it was just a you know if you were doing fantastic you would last a minute and a half yeah. and not any more than that um, but it was it was basically made to try to make it so that you could you know get really addictive kind of gameplay where it's like you would die within 10 or 20 seconds and be like, I want to try that again. Kind of like Flappy Bird, which is not really that good of a game, but it was just because you died so quickly and and victory seemed so easy, but wasn't. Yeah. I think that's what made it so addictive. So I was trying to die really quickly and then with zero repercussions, you just started back over. I think with mobile games, it's like people like the games you can pick up, play for a minute, and put it down, and like yeah. come back to it later. And I think that was one of the things about Flappy Bird. I mean, I mean, the rules of the game were simplistic. It's like okay, right? There's tap to flap. <laughs> yeah, I think once you get more complex, uh, then it's harder to pull people into your game. Right, and then uh, this last project I'm working on is just kind of based off of a really dumb uh, I started a, uh, a website where we were reviewing old games and we were working on this other stuff. And I haven't worked on it in a long time. It's called Retro Cemetery. Retro Photoshop. Cemetery. Okay. Yeah, I would Photoshop these old photos to put us on the covers of these games. And so here's the original Contra, but it's me and my buddy Alex on there. I also did it <laughs> with Street Fighter and some other stuff, and I put our logo on there. Yeah, now um, you were showing us some some of the Photoshop work that you did uh, at, I think it was like at McKay's, and you guys were throwing Hadoukens and fireballs and everything. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah, I did Dragon Ball whole, Z. Uh, yeah. yeah, Dragon Ball Z reenactment uh, with the guy who's wearing a Goku uh, jacket, so he's a, he's a fan. Excellent. <laughs> and I made it so they're reenacting one of the fights, Vegeta's Gallic Gun versus Goku's Kamehameha, and it's... Uh, it was basically just me goofing around and originally draw the flames in and it looked terrible. It was just 
awful. And then I just watched a tutorial and found out how to kind of import flames into it and use filters to make it look a lot more realistic. And I just kept adding on to it and on to it until it looked better. And then I I did uh, a few like uh, Avatar Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. Took this picture of a Shaolin monk and added flames to it. So it looks like he's a firebender from that show, which Very is pretty cool. cool. Uh, and so in regards to this, this little joke that I was doing started working on this project. Yeah, I was going to say earlier, I mean, you're showing us Game Maker here. There are a lot of similarities between Game Maker and Unity. Like in Game Maker, you have the game objects. and Unity, you also have game objects. I guess in Game Maker, it's just an object. Unity, you have a game object. Unity, you have components where you can add code. You have the same thing here where you can add scripts using GML language. Yeah, it's, it seems like there's a lot of uh, similarities between the two. It's like in, here you have, in Game Maker, you have rooms. In Unity, you have scenes. I mean, it's all very similar. Gotcha. So I've been working on this, and uh, I forgot to put Player 2 in there. Um, And whenever somebody wants to start making games, one recommendation that I always have is after you make a simple game, is like make something that you like to play, like pick a game, Contra, or whatever, and try to make that on your own. Yeah, that's basically, this is just practice platformer. So I made it so that it's got me and my buddy Alex in it and we're both the main characters so <laughs> I'm trying to control both of them with one thing so it's a little weird because I've, I've made improvements to one character and another one I stayed the other night trying to get that turret to turn correctly because mm-hmm. instead of using just the in-game sprites I just grabbed one of them and made it rotate, but I wanted it to look like the NES game where it was kind of choppy and not perfectly smooth. Making it perfectly smooth would have been way easier. Um, yeah, you might be able to, to get the, bridge get the rotation and... and divide the rotation by four or something. So, you, so it'll either be like 90, 180, 270, or 360. Yeah. So I, just got, I just put it so that uh, me and my buddy here were... Uh, we're in contra together just as a, as, as a means of practice. Uh, I don't know that I'm, I don't really plan on doing the whole game. Uh, cause I, a lot of work for a joke, basically. Uh, yeah. I remember I did a game years ago, back when I was at Georgia tech around 2000, it was basically contra, but it was, uh, procedurally generated by using the contra sprites. Just like you, you have here kind of brings back old memories. <laughs> Yeah, oh man, I love this game so much. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, I think I did that one in Allegro, which was a popular game development like engine slash tool library, I guess. Uh, back in the and late just 90s. to show, just to show how um, I, I I accidentally cut some corners. That turret at the very beginning of the uh, stage is still firing at me, and I forgot to make the bullets disappear when they go off the screen. When they go out of the room, they destroy, but not when they go off the screen. So those bullets are still going. Yeah, that's basically all I have right now, but it's got most of the... I think it looks pretty convincing. I think uh, if somebody hadn't played Contra in 10 or 20 years, they might think that it's the actual game. Really, I 
it'd be pretty the NES had a lot of hardware limitations so like when you're shooting the spread gun here you never see all five bullets at once it has to interchange what it shows and so basically you only ever see three bullets at a time and they they don't shoot evenly mm -hmm. um, so if I were to actually try to make it like the NES version it would take a lot of effort just to basically accommodate hardware limitations where it's like now we don't really have those so yeah, I remember reading an article, I think, by the Shovel Knight guys, and when they originally did their Kickstarter or whatever, they are like, hey, yeah, we want to do a, a retro NES game. Then they came back and said, well, we want to use some of the, the modern technologies. I mean, we want to make it in the style of one of those games and not necessarily, necessarily limit themselves to those hardware restrictions. Yeah, that's and that's definitely, like, a good idea, like... um. I've been reading more and more about NES hardware because I bought, I backed this thing on Kickstarter that lets you make your own Nintendo games and uh, the, without knowing the assembly language, it's kind of like the game maker drag and drop, but mm. you make a Nintendo game and they even ship it. It hasn't come yet, but they're going to ship it with an EEPROM reader and a blank NES cartridge. So oh, okay. here, hopefully in the next couple weeks or months, I'll have an actual NES cartridge that I can put a game, make my own game, put it on there, and then play it in an actual Nintendo, which will be really exciting, because that's something I've wanted to do since I was four years old. Um, and, you know, that'll be pretty rad, but it's going to have all these limitations and hardware. And, you know, you can only have... I think the NES can only have four... Uh, sorry, six sprites showing on one line yeah, at any given eight, point. Something like that. Yeah. yeah, and so, like, they, there's, you know, all this flashing and flickering in and out, and you see that all over the place with Contra. Um, and you see it with tons of games. It slow down and flicker. Uh, super dodgeball was super bad about it because it would. It had a lot going on screen at once, and it's a really fun game. But it's just too much for the NES to handle. So all the characters are basically flashing in and out. And it's like, why would you? Even if you wanted to make an NES style game, why would you imitate the worst parts of it? Whereas you really want like the fun that people remembered having with it, as opposed to like the actual experience of it. So when you make a game like Shovel Knight, yeah, you, you put some more animation in there and you put as many enemies on screen as you want, as long as they're 8-bit, people will still be able to get that nostalgia and have that instant connection with it. But you don't have to put screen flicker and oh, yeah. you know slow down and all that stuff kind of just for the sake of being as... I mean, if you want to be truly, you know, uh, authentic, sure. But, and any yeah, but I mean, like... You know, there was some article I was reading. It was like, if you want to make a Nintendo game, that's cool, but make it run at 60 frames per second. Nobody misses, you know, 12 frames per second or whatever it was running at. Yeah. They just want the the memory, so do it, but make it better. Yeah, I did a lightning talk at Codestock years ago, probably four or five years ago, on creating an NES game. And I actually have, like, a, a, a run-through of that talk online on my YouTube page. And I think I talked about it one time for a game on the Knoxville Game Design Podcast. I think it might have been one of the first ones. I made a, a game where you go around and you collect the following objects. It is a very simple game, but... Yeah, writing the 6502 assembly code, it's a completely different beast. Yeah, it seems like a... I, I remember seeing a... like a, It was a joke online, and it was just this incredibly complex math formula, and it was like, this is rocket science. I'm just kidding. This is the amount of times a Pokeball shakes before it decides whether or not you caught the Pokemon. It was just this baffling line of math that like I couldn't even begin to follow, and it was like, 
man, that old assembly code does not look very uh, user-friendly. Yeah, it's a lot of like, read this memory from this location, put it in this register, do something to this, increment it or add to it. Oh, now take that and put it back. And then you got things like jump and links. So you can kind of like simulate a subroutine and things like that. And But just getting everything set up correctly, I mean, it, it takes quite a bit of time to do a true NES game. Yeah, it's a... I'd rather just make it in Game Maker and, and set the <laughs> authenticity and uh, eventually move up to Unity and stuff. I'm definitely looking forward to that. But uh, right now, I, I, there was, I was doing some research online. Like, what should I do? What should I learn? Game Maker or Unity? And one of the big things is that there was a Game Maker Humble Bundle. So there was just everything you could possibly want. All like $800 in the modules and everything for you know $25. And that was a big deal. And someone on a forum said... You know, like Hyperlight Drifter and Hotline Miami, and all these cool games are done in Game Maker. So unless I can make something more complex than that, I'm not going to worry about Unity. I thought that's a good, that's a yeah, pretty good argument. That, that's one difference between uh, Game Maker and Unity. Unity, you can pretty much build for any plat Windows, Linux, Mac, uh, Android devices. I think you can even do iOS, but you have to have the by the iOS subscription. Game Maker is like you get Windows and Mac, I think, but to get like the web build, that's extra and everything else. You want to do a UPF, UWP, whatever, uh, that's extra. But it is nice when you can pick those up in a bundle for a nice prize. Yeah, and Game Maker Studio 2 is very... It's it's If you were to get all those bundles, and they went from... You know, I went from the Humble Bundle, it was like $25 for everything, and then two came out and it was a hundred bucks. It's on sale for eighty, but then it's like, oh, that's only one thing. If you want it on PS4 and Xbox, it's eight hundred dollars a piece for one year license, yeah. and or it's like twenty five hundred for like Switch for like all of them, but it's only a year license. So like, Game Maker Two, they got a little more greedy with it, but um, yeah, I mean. You got to look at the pros and cons of each. So I'm assuming, like with yeah. Game Maker, once you buy those extensions, you can like put it on any platform that you want and make as much money as you want. Whereas Unity, like once you make over a hundred thousand dollars, then Unity starts wanting their cut. Uh, and I think Unreal's the same way. Is like they want a certain percentage of your sales after. I think, and I, I haven't looked into this in a long time, but I think Unreal used to be like seventy-five bucks a month. And Unity was sixteen hundred dollars after you made a hundred thousand dollars, but it was free up until that point. Yeah. So I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty generous, I think. Um, and I don't mean to say that Yo-Yo Games is greedy for Game Maker Two for charging money, because if they have a product that's good and people want it, by all means, they should price it if it's desirable. You know, I just coming from the humble bundle was kind of sticker shock because I got eight hundred dollars worth of stuff for pennies on the dollar, and then, but yeah, it's a. You know, think, it is what it is. I think it's all about that barrier to entry. If you if you make your products cost so much, then nobody's going to use them because you can't get into them. So I think they got to yeah. have that introductory level that's fairly cheap. Then as you become more famous or start selling a bunch of copies, then, then they can start getting their cut out of it as well. Yeah, well, they've got like something called like the creator's version, which is 40 bucks a year. And like that's pretty cool, and it's just Windows and Mac, but it's forty bucks for the year, and it's a subscription, um, as opposed to a hundred bucks just to have it. But you know, if you're just getting your feet wet, testing it out, and seeing if you like it or not, that's fine. There's also a free trial version, and I think they limit you to like fifteen objects on screen, 
Yeah. But there are so many tutorials out there that fit within those limitations. And they say, like, oh, here you go. And um, I think that there was, was the, even... the Construct 2 model. I'm not sure if you've heard of that language. but uh, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's very similar to Game Maker and all the other ones. But they would let you, like, write 100 lines of code. Or they had their own little drag-and-drop thing. So you can only have 100 lines of logic. Then it was like, oh, if you want to use it any further, then you got to pay some money. <laughs> There was a there was a tutorial on GameMaker that was for the trial version, but to get object limit, they had like one object with ten totally different sprites, and they just were like, oh, if you're using the first image, then act like this, and if you're using the second image, act like this, and they just basically wrote ten enemies into one object. Pretty clever workaround. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hey William, you still with us? I am. Hey, do you have anything you want to share or any websites to plug or anything like that? Uh, not yet. I'm still just kind of looking and, and testing stuff out. Um, uh, Drew, I, I, you know, your stuff is really cool, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I Like you, I, I started looking at um, Playmaker, and I said, well, you know, if, I, if I'm going to get serious about this, I'm going to go straight to Unity. I didn't make the Playmaker decision. I went directly to Unity. And been doing the tutorials and that kind of thing. and So, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I think there's some cool opportunities and good fun to be had. So um, I'm very interested in pursuing this. Yeah, well, we appreciate you joining us. You're always welcome to hang out with us and <laughs> talk with us about game development. Oh. Great, because it's always nice to have some folks to talk to about this. It's it's a, it's a really interesting subject. Uh, Drew, I picked up a couple of nice things from you. Yeah. Uh, and talked oh, about thank you. your game. So uh, it's pretty impressive, help. man. Thank you. Yeah, I, I I spend a lot of time reading game design blogs and, you know, on Gama Sutra and uh, just listening to, I've probably at this point listened to dozens and dozens of episodes of podcasts about game design. Um, I just kind of trying to deconstruct my favorite games and what makes yeah good to hear that kind of stuff thank you yeah it's it's just it's real interesting and fascinating to me about creating the the player experience at the end of the day and the very different systems and the planning and amazing detailed planning that's got to be in in place before uh, you know make sure you get all your systems in place uh, power-ups, etc., monetization, etc. Very cool. Uh, hey, Dylan, do you have anything else you want to show off or talk about? Nah. I'm... Okay. We appreciate the demo. Yeah, everybody out there, you can find all of Dylan's stuff on DylanWolf.com. It's DylanWolf on Twitter. Uh, Drew, do you, do you have a website, or do you just have the YouTube channel? Uh, RetroCemetery.com is still up but it is old. I don't think I've updated it in like a year. I um, What's funny is me and a friend started that and he got really busy and so I was just basically reviewing a game every now and then, doing some goofy photoshops. Um, and I haven't... I, I, I had a lot of fun with it, but then, oddly enough, I got super into working on uh, Game Maker. Like, and I... I uh, just basically got, let's see, bring it up real quick. Oops. 
just basically got any more reviews or any of that stuff. Um, yeah, it's but it was a lot of fun. I like to get back in. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to keep things going. I mean, yeah. The, this group's been around a while, and we 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 try to keep it once a month. Yeah, I was, well, you know, I was going to tell you that uh, we do get together two or three times a year. It used to coincide with the Ludum Dari kickoffs. Uh, which happened three times a year. I think they've reduced that to twice a year. So I think the next time we'll have an in-person meeting will be April 2019. Okay, great, great. Well, you guys, I appreciate your, your invitation. Appreciate you letting me listen in. Uh, I hope um, I'll, I'll continue to, uh, to participate. And maybe in the near future, I'll have something to show you guys for your comments and suggestions. Sounds good. Appreciate you yeah. joining us. All right, you guys have a great day. We'll talk at you later. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Good to meet you. Good to meet you all. So, Drew, did you have anything? Oh, you're going to show us Retro Cemetery? Uh, Come. Sure. There's, it's, it's kind of embarrassing how old it is at this point. Because it, uh, it, like... So here's like that Mother 3 was going to be announced on the Switch. Um, <laughs> that Mother 3 was going to be announced on the Switch. Obviously, that never happened. But there was an art. I wrote an article about Earthbound 64, which was rumored to come out, and then it got canceled. So I've got the original trailer on there and some of the uh, magazine articles the, that were talking about this. It looked really cool. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I mean, Mother 3, I mean, like, obviously it never came out, but it would have been pretty crazy if it had. It got canceled, it got picked back up a couple years later as a Game Boy Advance game, but I think I don't think many people knew about it. I remember a friend of mine in middle school just being super excited, and then it never ended up happening. Um, but, I mean, just to show how long it's been since I've worked on this, here's comparing ARMS on the Switch before it even came out to the Sega Classic Virtual On, um, a trailer for the Contra movie that China's making that is literally just an, a, a gun eagle shooting bullets and knives everywhere, which is pretty fun, wow. but uh, talking about, hey, they're they're making Castlevania for Netflix, and you know, it's it's been a while since I've worked on this. It was fun, but again, I, I just got obsessed with working on Game Maker. Here's another mock-up. Uh, I think that's Street <laughs> Fighter 2 Championship Edition. Uh, <laughs> Mia Z Honda and my buddy Alex is photoshopping us into dumb stuff. Now, do you have an itch page, an itch.io page where you're putting your games? Or No, I just signed up for that recently, and I need to put uh, the only, the one game that I have that's actually complete, which is not the one that I demoed earlier, but the one uh, Yeah, well, once you, once you have your... That I showed you. Once you have your itch up and running, let us know and we can add a link to it so everybody can check out your games. Yeah, that'd be great. The other one, I mean, it's kind of fun. I liked it. I liked working on it. I just, um, the only thing that really bothers me about it is you're not invincible after you get hit. So you can get hit twice at the exact same time and just die instantly, which is like just a such a gaming 101 goof up. And uh, I don't, I just need to go back yeah. Fix it real quick, but I think the last time I tried it, I yeah, think it's, it's like the eighty twenty rules. Like eighty percent of your time is spent fixing the last twenty percent of the bugs and everything. That is absolutely true, man. I was able to get so much a few weeks, and then like it spent. It was a few months just trying to like iron out those creases, 
is which can get like can be such a drag to just try to like finish up a project. I get why people don't finish stuff, but <laughs> it's very important to like just get through that last slog where it's not like fun anymore and just finish it and get it out, you know. That's one good thing about doing 48-hour game jams. It forces you to do something and have it done in 2 days. Yeah. I'll definitely look at that. Is it GM48 that they're doing, Reese? Yep, GM48.net. It'll be this uh, weekend. Pretty soon? Yep. Oh, really? Wow. We'll probably show off our games next month. Okay. I'll try to keep an eye on it. I'd like to... Yeah, there it is. January 19th. Sounds cool. Or January 12th. Huh. Okay, so yeah. I think that's going to wrap it up for Knoxville Game Design for January 2019. We appreciate everyone out there listening and watching the videos on YouTube. You can find us on iTunes. Just look up Knoxville Game Design. Find us on Stitcher as well, or you can just go to knoxgamedesign.org and listen to us right there. Be sure to uh, sign up for the mailing list. Uh, anyone out there wants to know more about our group, want, if you want to be notified of our upcoming events and meetings and things like that, yeah, definitely just go to knoxgamedesign.org and put your email in there and get notifications that way. And we're also on social media on Twitter at knoxgame. Uh, I think it's just knoxgamedesign. Uh, at Knox Game Design. So, anyway, till next month, thanks everyone for listening and watching.